0: If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the senior pastor. We're glad you're here. Appreciate Brian giving me back about five minutes of time he would normally have for his part of worship because today is a day of celebration in the life of our church. Three years ago this weekend, uh, we began a campaign that we call REACH. Uh, the REACH campaign is a capital stewardship campaign. That means it was about raising money to build this facility. Uh, we knew this facility would cost between five and a half and six million. It cost 5.8. We had some money in the bank. We knew we were going to borrow about four and a half. We needed to raise a bunch more money than that. And so we entered this campaign in Above ties and Offerings. We asked you to make a commitment. Our church at that time committed $1,626,000. And today we have raised $1,820,000, 820 more dollars. So... We praise God for that. I thank all of you who contributed to be a part of that. It's a big celebration. Now, you may say, what happens after REACH? We know that we ask you to give above and beyond. Some of you may say, David, I want to keep giving that REACH money. Can I do that? Well, yeah, we'll always let you do that. If you want, what we ask is if you want to keep giving what you were giving to REACH, because you got used to not having it around, uh, just give it towards the budget, because here's the thing. Uh, we have to pay $25,000 a month, a mortgage payment, probably more than most of your mortgages, I'm sure. So we got to do that above and beyond our normal budget. So, you know, if you want to give, uh, keep giving reach money. You don't designate a reach, just keep giving straight to the budget. You can give all of that reach money or part of it. Uh, I know you gave above and beyond your ties, maybe. Uh, but listen, we would love for you to do what the Lord leads you to do. And that's all we ever ask, to so see what the Lord wants you to do. Do that. Back in 1977... There was a song recorded. It was written by Chip Moman and uh, Bobby Emmons. And Waylon Jennings recorded that song. It became a number one hit, a monster hit. It was about a guy and a gal who had pursued money and, and kept up with everything and realized that their life had grown stale, their marriage had grown stale. And so Waylon sang that maybe it was time to sell those diamond rings and get some boots and faded jeans and go away with Willie and Waylon to Luke Bach, Texas. How many of you have been to Lucanbach, Texas. Just raise your hand up high and proud. Not many of you folks are from Texas, I see. The first, I'll tell you, at 8.30, Edward and Miranda, they had all been just about, most of 9.40. You guys have not experienced life if you hadn't been to Lucanbach, Texas. How many of you have never heard of the song Lukenbach, Texas? Because you're too young. Shame on you. Go Google that thing up. Some of you, if you've heard the song, it's going to be humming with you all day. I had folks leaving the 940 server saying, you know, I've been thinking about that song since you started preaching it, because it's a pretty good tune. Lukenbach, Texas, is between San Antonio and Fredericksburg, Texas, closer to Fredericksburg. Now, to get there, you can either take 281 north out of San Antonio to the highway 290 west, and then get to Farm Road 1376 and head south, or you can take I-10 west, to, like you're going to Las Cruces, Get off right there in Bernie. you got to work your way around Bernie till you find Farm Road 1376. Take that long old drive north. You still won't get to Lucanbach until you have found Lucanbach Loop Road. And that will take you to a town that has about five buildings. One of them is a dance hall. There's a souvenir place. Every weekend they still have fine country music playing out there. You can go to the general store. You can get you a souvenir. Get you a T-shirt that says everybody is somebody in Lucanbach, Texas. Here's the thing. You don't get to Lucanbach unless you take a back road. It's the kind of place you go taking the back roads of life. <clears throat> There's a lot of great places you can find the back roads. Now, normal one, Debbie and I travel for not flying when we drive. I am trying to set some sort of world record to get to the place I'm going. I got to be honest with you. So I'm getting there quick. But once in a while, maybe when we get there, we'll take a back road someplace. There's a lot of cool things you can see on the back roads. And the last place I served, Bridgeport, you can take some back roads and you make a turn. And all of a sudden, there's this huge place full of lions and tigers, but no bears, oh my, but lions and tigers. I mean, there's more tigers. You know, you've know, you never seen so many tigers right in the middle of North Texas. You can go down to New Orleans and take a back road to Lajua, Baton Rouge. You can pass all these plantations. One of those plantations was the inspiration for the house in Gone with the Wind. You can be in East Tennessee, and there's a road that says North Carolina this way. And you take that 11-mile stretch of road that has 318 turns, hairpin curves in it, and you realize you just traveled to, uh, the Dragon's Tail, one of the most treacherous roads in all of, of America, and one of the most scenic, so you can get from Tennessee to North Carolina. There are beautiful back roads everywhere. I tell you this because back last summer, when I was thinking about what we were going to do in 2019, I planned my sermons way out in advance I was looking at March, thinking, God, what are we going to do? And uh, I think I was spending some time, we're just driving around. I was kind of driving down past El Paso, traveling down that road near the river, going past Fabians, maybe on the Fort Hancock, traveling the back road. And I said, back roads. And so the Lord led me to this series about back roads. And so we're in a series entitled, just that, back roads. We're going to be in passages in the Old Testament that are kind of obscure, passages you don't see very often. But when you travel those parts of the scripture, they take you to some great places. Today we're going to start in uh, the book of 1 Kings, chapter 11, with a guy about the name Solomon. And we're going to find about a man, a wise man, who became foolish. And we're going to see on the back row what happens when a wise man was foolish. If you have your Bibles, you can turn it up. Here it is. King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite. Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. And when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been, for Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, that is Molech, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not follow the Lord fully as his father David had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, you on the mountain which is east of Egypt, and for Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Thus also. He did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Now, the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and he had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. So the Lord said to Solomon, because you have, not, because you have done this, And you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So here's the thing I want you to see today. As we come to this message, people and churches fail God because they put themselves, uh, put what matters to them ahead of what matters to God. People and churches fail God because they put themselves, they put what matters to them ahead of the things that matter to God. So today we'll come, and I want you to see two things from this. The first thing I want you to see in this passage today is about foolish mortals. If you ever go to Magic Kingdom and Disney World, or over to Disneyland, which is closer here, there's an iconic attraction called Haunted Mansion. I'm sure most of you, if you've been there, you've gone to the Haunted Mansion. In the Haunted Mansion, you walk in, yours says this, Welcome, foolish mortals. When you kind of come to this passage, in essence, you're walking into a place of a very foolish mortal named Solomon. God had made a promise to Abraham. He made a promise that... He would bless the whole world through him. And that blessing would ultimately, we know, come through Jesus Christ. Now, along the way, there was a king named David. David, it says, was a man after God's own heart who never, ever turned away from God. Now, David sinned, absolutely. David committed adultery, committed murder. He was arrogant. But David never ceased to serve the Lord. And in David's lifetime, he drove out all of the detestable religious practices of the people of the land that they had conquered. He got rid of all the high places, all the false temples, all the false altars. He got rid of all the priests and priestesses. He drove all of that out. In the meantime, God blessed him by making the people of Israel, that kingdom, the most powerful nation in the world, at least that part of the world at that time. Nobody was more powerful than Israel. Then David... When he died, left the kingdom of Solomon. Now, God appeared to Solomon and said, ask for anything you want. And Solomon said, Lord, all I want is wisdom. So God gave him an abundance of wisdom, which Jesus recognized in Matthew twelve forty two. In addition to wisdom, he gave him power, fame, and a whole lot of money. In fact, during the reign of Solomon, Israel was not only the most powerful country militarily, it was the most powerful company, country economically. It was a mighty kingdom, the mightiest they have ever been now, God appeared to him and said to him this, it appeared to him two times, once in 1 Kings 3, once in 1 Kings chapter 9. And he said to him this, I will bless you just like I blessed David. But here's the thing, just like David, you can never worship any other gods. Don't turn to worship any other gods, but only me. I'm the only one. Obey me, obey what I tell you, and we'll be okay. And that was Solomon. Then you come to the 11th chapter, and here's what you see, that Solomon foolishly ignored God's word. He foolishly ignored God's word. God said, don't worship anybody but me. No one else. Notice what he did. Now, God had also told to Moses, and Moses, long before Solomon, understanding all that was going to happen in the decades and centuries to follow, God had told uh, Moses, listen, in Deuteronomy 7, it's written, I don't want my people to intermarry with the Canaanite people. In other words, don't marry the Canaanite men and women. Stay away from them, because they'll lead your heart astray. And then in Deuteronomy 17, he also told Moses, and Moses wrote down, that when kings come along, the kings aren't supposed to go after and have a bunch of wives. They don't need a bunch of foreign wives. I will take care of them. When you come to 1 Kings 11, this is what it says Solomon, however, loved many wives, and he loved them from among the people that God said, don't marry. 700 wives. 300 concubines, a thousand women in his life. And it says they turned his heart away from the Lord. Now, it may be hard to believe that Solomon had that many wives, but there were kings who had more than that. And, you know, you might say, well, why would he need so many wives? Which is is, (laughs) a good question to ask. Why would you need a thousand wives? But you have to understand how things were back in that day and age. And you were, you were a king. number of wives kind of showed how powerful you were. It showed how great you were and other things. And also what it did is back in that time, you know, kingdoms were kind of spread out. And so I might be the powerful kingdom and I might rule over other kingdoms, but they could easily rebel against me. So you would take the daughters of the nobility, of the kings and the princes and whoever, and you would bring them to your country and you would marry them. And in essence, you would make them a hostage almost so that there would be a disincentive for those other kingdoms to rebel against you because you might take their daughters and put them to death. Also, there's all sorts of little nomadic roaming tribes around, so you might take their daughters and make them your concubines. So by having a thousand wives, in essence, not only did he show his greatness, but it was a way to keep other places in line, keep them from rebelling against him. The problem is, God said, don't do it. And Solomon Thought he knew better than God. Solomon, because he was so wise, he had so much success, thought he was at a place in his life where he knew better than God knew. And he foolishly ignored the word of God. Here's what happened. Solomon decided to please his wives and not God. They turned his heart away. He did not serve God fully and completely like David had did. It's not that Solomon abandoned God. It's not that he didn't love God. It's not that he didn't even worship to God. He just didn't do it the way God told him to. He became foolish. And unlike his father, David, who totally served God and worshiped God, he allowed his wives to convince him to build these other places. Now, in some sense, I don't know that you can totally blame Solomon, because I I, I know this, You know, I've I've been happily married for uh, over 36 years. And... um, I want my wife to be happy. I think I think she's looking at me with that look. Yeah, right. No, I, I want my wife there for two reasons. One, I love her, and two, it's a whole lot easier in my world if my wife's happy. You know that, guys. So, happy wife, happy life. There's an old saying, and so I, I, I do. You know, I want I want to please the people I love. So it makes sense that Solomon would want to please them. Now, unlike your wives, and unlike my wife, completely different. Evidently, Solomon's wives nagged him a whole lot. (laughs) And so they wanted them to build them the temples of worship. And so Solomon, instead of obeying God, He decided to please his wives, and he built these places of worship. Now, it's not that he built a thousand of them, because some of them came from the same place. But he built numerous high places, and three are mentioned, three of the most detestable gods and goddesses in the Canaanite religion. One was Astarte, or Astareth. She was the goddess of fertility for the Sidonians. And the worship of her involved really deviant, disgusting, perverted sexual practices. Then to worship Chemosh or Malcolm, Milcom or Molech, as it's also called. These were Canaanite deities, and probably it's the same deity, just different location. And they were the sun, stars, you know, the rain gods. And so to worship them involved the sacrifice of human beings, specifically your children. So think about this Solomon, who built that magnificent temple to God, built places of worship to gods who didn't exist so they could practice unbelievably perverted sexual activities and sacrifice their own children. Is it any wonder then that we're told in Scripture that Solomon did evil in the eyes of God? God saw what Solomon did, rightly so, is evil. Because he didn't simply violate God's word about marrying these wives, which was bad enough. He then began to violate God's word by worshiping other gods and dragging his people into the worship of other gods so that Solomon experienced that God keeps his word even when we reject it. Solomon was going to find out a big-time truth. God had appeared to him twice and said, You don't worship anybody but me, or I will take the kingdom from your hands. God didn't listen to Solomon. I mean, Solomon didn't listen to God. And so here's what it says. God was angry because he appeared to him twice. And he didn't listen. And so God kept his word. There was going to be punishment. God said, I'm going to take the kingdom from your hands. I'm going to tear it out from you. I'm going to rip it from you. But God also showed grace. He said, but for the sake of David, not your sake, but for the sake of David, who followed me completely. You have not followed me wholeheartedly. But David did. What I'll do is I won't do it in your lifetime because I made that promise to David. And secondly, I will make sure that at least one tribe will always have a descendant of David as king as long as people of Israel have kings. And that was the promise he made to Solomon because of what he did to David, God's promise to David. Now listen, God always keeps his word. And here's the thing, if you read on in Kings, you'll see that after his death, the kingdom is torn in two under his son's reign, Rehoboam, that ten tribes go off and follow this guy named Jeroboam, and for the next 200 years, these ten tribes will worship detestable other gods along with Yahweh, sometimes not even worshiping Yahweh, so that in 722, he destroys that northern kingdom. Then the southern kingdom, which always had a descendant of David as king, would eventually also begin to worship other gods. And in 587, they too would be destroyed. Now all these people, all these kings, followed other gods. But the one to blame for all of it was Solomon. Here was a wise man who acted foolishly. And brought this practice into Israel. Now we need to understand God always keeps his word. And he did keep his word. He took the kingdom from them, and He destroyed the people because of their idolatry. But he kept his word to both Abraham and David. Ultimately in Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. From a foolish man. Here was Solomon. All this wisdom. And yet he was a foolish, foolish mortal. Which brings me to the second thing I want you to see today. I want you to see wisdom from a foolish man. Solomon didn't act with wisdom, but there is wisdom. And so today, in this this last part, on this back road we're going to see in 1 Kings 11, there are three, I think, jewels of wisdom for us that we can see here. And the first is this. Pleasing man can never replace honoring and obeying God. Pleasing people can never replace to honor God and to obey him. This is what Solomon wanted to do. He wanted to please. He wanted to please his wives and thought he could pull that off, but he couldn't. Because uh, we live in the New Testament era after Jesus, and, and, and many of you are followers of Christ, and I know some of you probably aren't at this time, but we look at everything through the eyes or the lens of Jesus. And so there was a time when they came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God and then to love other people. Now, the idea of loving isn't just to have warm emotions, but it's a commitment to, it's a giving of yourself. So he said there's this vertical relationship with God that we commit ourselves to God. And then these horizontal relationships that we have with people, and we commit ourselves to people, that is what matters. Then shortly before his ascension, Jesus gave this commandment. He said, I want you to go and make disciples of all people. In other words, I want you to get people and bring them to me. So from that perspective, we understand to a large degree what it is that we are expected to do. How is it that we seek to honor God? Well, the simple this: we honor God and reach people. That's what we do. Our priority in life is to honor God and to reach people. That's, that's it. And nothing can get in our way of seeking to bring honor and glory to God and seeking to reach people. That takes priority over everything we do, both individually and collectively as a church. Now, sometimes we act foolishly, and we all do what I've done, it. and sometimes it involves worship. I mean, and it's not because we don't love God. It's not because we don't want to do what God wants, but sometimes we just think we have an idea of what needs to happen. And so we'll see it in worship. Everything we do in worship is designed to bring honor and glory to God. It helps us worship. If what we have doesn't help us worship God, we don't do it. And so it's things like, you know, this thing today helped us worship God. I know what it's called. I just don't want to pronounce it because I'll get it wrong. This thing all helps us worship God. I don't know what this thing does. I'm assuming it helps us worship God or it wouldn't be here. Everything we do is it, designed to help us bring our own glory to God. And sometimes, though, we want to do things in, in worship that make us feel better about ourselves. I, this, is, this has been a kind of a thing in my life that I, it goes way back with. Uh, I was very fortunate as a young, very young man. I mean, God has blessed me in so many ways. But in terms of preaching, God blessed me with the ability to preach without taking notes, without any notes. So I don't ever need notes, and I didn't. Now, today, that's pretty common. Lots of guys preach without notes, but... You know, 30 years ago, that was really uncommon. So when I began pastoring in Laredo, uh, you know, back then we didn't have the screens to read Scripture. We had to read it, you know, from the Bible the old-fashioned way. Uh, you may wonder sometimes, people wonder, why do you even bring the Bible up there? Well, at, today at, at uh, Miranda, the screens went out, so I actually had to pick up my Bible and read it the old-fashioned way. And fortunately, I also happened to have glasses to help and my other glasses weren't reading well. Evidently, uh, I bought the wrong pair, so yesterday I bought glasses that I can read with. So I did it the old-fashioned way. But, but you know, uh, we do all that, and, and I've never really needed the notes. And so we have these things, they used to have these things, you may not know this, called pulpits. And pulpits would be right here in the middle. And some of them were huge. And, you know, you would read, you know, you would put your Bible up there, and you put your notes, and you read. Well, I happen to be this guy that moves around a lot. You may not have noticed. I walk a lot. And the pulpit would always get in my way. So I got to the radio, and I said, let's just get rid of the pulpit. I don't need it. It's just in the way it it impacts my movement. And most everybody says, well, that's cool. Let's do that. But some people were upset. Oh, my goodness, you thought I were taking Bibles and burning them out there in the middle of the auditorium. I had one guy said, where's he going to put his Bible?" Well, the music stand behind, here's a table, I'll put it there. He said, but what's he going to pound? <laughs> I don't pound anything. It, 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 it gets in the way of what I'm trying to do, and you don't want anything to get in the way of preaching, do you? And I went, I went to Bridgeport, it was the same thing. The guys on the committee, I said, you better tell them I don't use the pulpit. Said, oh, we'll take care of it, they never told them. So my first Sunday there, the pulpit's gone. Oh, people are in the uproar. There was this one class of really old, old, mean guys. They're, the old, they're older than anybody in our church by far, and meaner than about half of y'all. I mean, mean guys. And that's no pulpit. And they went looking for the pulpit. I, I didn't know where it was. I didn't, they thought I sold the pulpit. They found it. We're going to bring the pulpit and put it back. Like, no, you don't. It's too heavy, and you're too old, and you can't carry it, so something not to happen. Piece of wood man. It's a piece of furniture. You kidding me? I didn't need it. And it happens to us all the time. There are churches right now who think I'm a heretic because I don't use the King James Version of the Bible. I mean, you kidding me? What did they preach with before the 1600s? What did they preach with in the papers? They don't got the King James Version of the Bible. There are some people that won't, there are people who won't walk into this building because we don't have pews instead of chairs. I'm telling you, chairs help me worship a whole lot more than pews. For one thing, I can close my eyes in silent meditation as the preacher preaches. You know, and some of you do that on a regular basis, right? (laughs) Here's the thing. Everything has to help us honor God or it's unnecessary. Same thing about reaching people for Jesus. You know what we do too often? We all want to reach people for Jesus. I've actually had people say, well, I'm glad we're reaching people for Jesus, but, but, there's no buts. I'm glad we're reaching for Jesus, period. Leave your butt out of it, man. There's no there. There's no buts. And some people, it's it's in their mind that, you know, and and listen, I understand. All of you are important to us. And there are times in your life you need, a pastor and ministers and others to to help you. And if we failed, I'm I'm sorry, there are times when there's death, there's times that you're in the hospital, illness, family problems. We want to be there for you, but primarily we're here to help people who are lost become saved. I say this on the day I've come. It's not about you. It's about others. Some of you don't know Jesus. It's about you then. We want you to come to Christ. Christ. Everything we do has to be to honor God and reach people. Sometimes I get, I've, now I've been doing this for almost 40 years. It's hard to believe. I know I don't look old enough to be in ministry for 40 years. You're probably thinking 10, 15 tops, but I've been almost 40 years. <laughs> and all my, all my life I get, now it's an email form, you know. Pastor doesn't listen to us. David just does whatever he wants, yada, yada, yada. It's, that's not the case. I always listen to you. She said, most of the time what you want to do when you're sending me all this stuff, doesn't honor God or is designed to please you. And I just don't do that. It's foolish. And listen, you don't listen to me. You don't want me to do that either. You don't want me to please people, because here's what I promise you. If I pleased people, we wouldn't be in this building right now. We wouldn't be here. If I tried to please people, we have guys on our staff that would not be on our staff right now because there are people who didn't want them here. And you miss out on the blessings. And if I tried to please people, we would be in a heap of trouble. 80 to 85% of the churches in America, study after study shows this. 80 to 85% of the churches in America are plateaued or declining. Why? Well, in Baptist life, it's not because they don't love Jesus. They all love Jesus. It's not because they don't have good theology. They have fine theology. It's not because they're not good people. They're good people. I'll tell you why. It's because they're not reaching people. That's not their primary objective. Their primary objective is about them. I know that because every church I've gone to pastor, that was the case when I arrived, including this one. I've consulted with many churches, and that's the case. When they're plateau or declining, that is because you have pushed yourself first. Less than 20% of the churches in America are growing. And by the way, we are in that 20% right now. We don't seek to please people. We honor God and reach people for Jesus. Because of that, the second thing you need to see is we strive to finish well. We always strive to finish well. 1998, I was pastoring in Laredo, and things had been going well, and then we were getting kind of stagnant. And I was concerned because we were, we were in a tough place, and I knew the times were changing, the paradigm shifts were occurring. And so... I wanted to do something. I went to this conference that John Maxwell was leading. He had just written a book called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, one of the five most influential books in my life. Every member of our staff is supposed to read it. If they haven't, I expect them to be finished by tonight. (laughs) (laughs) But when I went to this conference, here's the thing he said that stuck with me. He said, I've just passed 50, and I made a promise to God, I want to finish well. And I said, that's it. Finishing well. One of the biggest regrets of my life is that in First Baptist Church in Laredo, I did not finish well. Then they say I didn't do a good job. I are fine for the most part. Love the people to this day. I had finished so well before in my first church as a youth minister, in my second church, you know, at Park Hills and staff. i finished well, and in Bridgeport, man, I finished well. But at Laredo, I didn't, and it was reason why I didn't finish well it was simple. I became like Solomon. Not that I had a thousand wives. But I thought I knew better than God. And I began to make what I was doing about me. And I just assumed God would bless me. Because after all, I've had nothing but success. Everything has worked. So God, you'll just bless what I'm doing. And I didn't finish well. It's not the fault of anybody in my family. It's not the fault of anybody in that church. Only one cat deserves blame for finishing poorly. That was me. I want to finish well in everything I do. So I'm going to be sure I honor God and reach people. I want to finish well in this message. Last Thursday night was our last connect group. I hoped and prayed to finish well then. I'm going to finish well in my marriage. When I'm ready that God calls me from this church, I plan on finishing well. When I go to the church after that, I'm going to finish well. When I go to the church after that, I'm going to finish well because it's probably going to kill me because I'll be too old. I'll probably go to heaven. Here's the thing. You'll never finish well if you don't seek above all else to honor God and reach people. If you put yourself first, you will never finish well. Which reminds us of this then The third thing, God will accomplish what he chooses to accomplish with or without you. He don't need you, man. He just doesn't. God made a promise to Abraham. He kept it. All the way to Jesus, along the way he used a lot of people, but he didn't need any of them. But they were there so they could be blessed by God, and being used by God. And God doesn't need us, but He sure will bless us because we need Him. I learned something in ministry a long time ago. You may find this hard to believe. I know this is what I'm saying is going to shock you, and you don't have to say Amen when I say this either. But I'm not the smartest guy or the most innovative guy that ever lived. And so what I have decided to do is I'm going to find out when churches are successful, I'm going to find out what they're doing, and I'm going to go copy them. I do that all the time. I go to churches that are successful. What are they doing? Can I take this and bring it to where I'm pastoring and do that? Here's what I have found. Go find out what God is doing and go join that. Figure out what God is doing and go join God. Get on his side. First of May, our traditional service. It's coming out to this location. It's not coming out here so I don't have to make that drive anymore. It doesn't bother me a leg. It. It's not coming out here because I'm going to get a raise or anything like that. They're coming out here for one reason. Because God is working at this campus. And I want the folks at Miranda, the traditional service, to be a part of what God is doing here. That's it. Period. End the of score. There's no other discussion. They're coming out here to be a part of what we're doing out here. I want them to be experiencing what God is doing. Period. Because God is going to accomplish things with or without us. And I want to be a part of what God's accomplishing. I think we should all want to be a part for what God accomplishes. Now look at Solomon. Solomon, what were you thinking? God had blessed you. He had blessed you. And what did you go and do? You, you, just, you just went and you threw it all away because you thought you knew more about God. You were more concerned with pleasing your wives than honoring and obeying God. And when we get to the point in our life where we're more concerned with pleasing people than honoring God or reaching people for Jesus, we become foolish, foolish mortals it's just like Saul. middle of the summer it's going to be 100 degrees outside you may want to cool off so you just get over here on line 70 or highway 70 and you head on out to Alamogordo when you get to Alamogordo there'll be a little road I think it's road 82 if I think is correct and you take 82 east and within a few moments the temperature will drop from the 100s to the 80s maybe even the 70s instead of desert you're going to see mountains Instead of brown, it's going to be all green. You go far enough, and if it's on a Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, not Sunday, because you need to be here, but Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, and early enough in the day, and roll your windows down, you'll smell the best barbecue this side of Texas. You've taken a back road to go to a place that's so very special. And here we take this back road in First Kings 11. And First Kings 11 takes us right where God wants us to be, but are we going to be too foolish to listen to God, or will we make sure in our life we honor God and reach people for Jesus? Some of you today, you may be in that foolish part. Well, you love God, I know it, and you believe all the right things about God, I get it, but you have tried to please yourself and you have tried to please others more than pleasing God. And maybe today you need to say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me for that. Maybe you haven't seen God accomplish anything in your life because you are not honoring God and striving to reach people for Christ. Today, maybe you need to come and say, Lord, forgive me because I put what I have wanted ahead of what really matters. He'll forgive you. Today, maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. And I haven't preached an evangelistic message, but that's what we're here for. You're the ones that matter. You need to come to Christ. So maybe you want to come and talk to somebody about trusting Jesus to be your Savior. Maybe you want to come and pray for somebody, as happens quite often, and ask the Lord to bless their life. Listen, this is the thing. We need to leave this place today being sure that we honor God and being sure that we reach people for Jesus. Otherwise, we're just going to leave this place as foolish mortals. Father, we... Praise you and honor you. It's our desire to lift you up above all else. That people might come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So we pray that you would help us put aside the things that we want. That we will quit seeking to please men and women. Quit seeking to please ourselves. but Strive only to please you. And in pleasing you, Father, to honor you and glorify you. To reach out and help people come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we want, Lord. That's what you want from us. So help us, Lord, today to be sure we strive to finish well. To finish well, Lord. To be sure that we are a part of what you're seeking to accomplish and not us. And we can only do that when we seek to no longer please people, but honor and obey you. Help us today, God, leave here to honor you and reach people for Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be at the front of the creature. Would you come?